Welcome to another edition of the Untoxicated Podcast. I'm Matt Salis. Joining me again today is my lovely wife, Sherry. Hi, Sherry. Hey, Matt. Hey, guess what, Sherry? What's that? It's not just me and you talking about our marriage today. I know. I'm excited. We have a special guest joining us today. Uh, Her name is Christy Wynn. Hi, Christy. Hi, how are you? Great. Thanks for talking to us. Thank you for having me. Christy, you are... Um, all coming up on a year sober, right? Is that right? That's right. Yes. What do you have? Do you track your date? Like, is that a big thing for you? I have the app and I occasionally will glance at it more just to see, um, cause it keeps track of how much money you've saved. Mm. <laughs> and I occasionally just like to look at that and, and see how much I can go shopping. There but, you go. No, I'm just kidding. But, um, I will occasionally look at it, but it'll be a year in December. So... That's a tough time to quit. Yes. Like December, early December? It's mid. It was exactly the middle of the month, December 15th. Man, right before the big, big drinking holiday. Like like all holidays aren't big drinking holidays, but that's certainly a big one. That's right. Yes. That's, That's exciting. Well, so Christy, you've got a lot of things going on around the topic of drinking and uh, the, the health consequences of drinking and the healthy consequences of not drinking. And we want to get into all that. But first, I thought maybe it would be pretty awesome if you tell us a little bit about, you know, your story, like your, your, the drinking side of your story and then the quitting side. Maybe start with right where I just interrupted you. you middle of December. What, what, what made you say now's the time when Christmas was right around the corner? I think that's fascinating. Yeah, and even more fascinating, uh, we were living in France at the time that I decided to quit uh, with a vineyard in our backyard. Um, so my drinking story is sort of, you know, I started when I was about, I don't know, 13 or 14 with my first beer. I grew up around very heavy drinking um, and a lot of alcohol abuse um, in my family and for generations and generations um, that that was our family story and so uh, I would say I've always been sort of hyper aware of my drinking patterns and wanting to kind of quote-unquote keep control over it Um, and I would closely monitor it but I was also a you know a partier I I did it for 32 years Um, and probably I would say the last four or five years I've really started to kind of look in the mirror a little harder and examine it uh, from a health perspective and um, start to explore the fact that uh, it was probably holding me back from feeling my best self and being the best mom I could be, best wife I could be, uh, and the best version of myself. So um, it sort of goes along with my career path. Um, that sort of led into me examining it as well and helping other people, um, you know, have this great healthy lifestyle um, and doing all the right things all day with drinking your green juice, exercising, eating the right diet, doing your little, you know, detoxes, but then drinking wine every evening and then turning around the next morning and drinking a ton of caffeine. 
So I was finding I was sort of in that cycle. Now, your, your career path, you went from kind of traditional Western medicine, right? Yes. To yes. A, as a medical professional. Yes. And then you explored more holistic methods and like you mentioned, the green juice. and Yes. And I think we've talked about detoxing and things like that. Was, was the alcohol part of you moving in that direction or was it just good fortune for you that your interest started to lead you toward more, more holistic kind of direction? Does that make sense? Yes. And that's a really interesting question. Well, and thank I, you. <laughs> I, uh, if I have to answer that, I would say I think subconsciously and deep down, I knew what was best for me. And I knew, even though if I couldn't have pinpointed it at that time, I just started to sort of seek out and pay more attention to things that people were saying. I had a friend who was studying this uh, integrative nutrition program, and she kind of started to tell me about it. And this was years and years ago. And I remember thinking she was kind of crazy at the time. Like, she was saying, you know, you can get off certain medications if you just, you know, change your diet. And I was thinking, what in the world is she talking about? Because in traditional Western medicine, we're not trained in nutrition. We're not trained in a lot of this stuff. So, right, right. Um, but that planted a seed. And I think I just finally started to want to, you know, listen to it and listen to my knowing of that there is more out there. And, you know, this ha- there has to be more than just prescribing medications and, you know, labeling people with a a problem or a disease and then saying, well, here's your medication for it. Now run along. So I ended up doing a nutrition program, the same one she did. And that really opened my eyes to a lot of new ways of, of looking at, you know, our bodies and our health. And then from there, I took a break. I had, you know, we, we adopted our, our son. And so I took a long break from any sort of career But I always knew that when I went back to practice, I did not want to do it in a traditional Western medicine way. I wanted to do it in a more holistic way. So as I was exploring that, I was trying to figure out what practice to go work for. And I found this integrative medicine practice. And so then I started researching, how can I get more training in this? So I ended up doing a two-year integrative medicine fellowship. Um, which led me to even, you know, do a further deep dive into my, you know, inner knowing and my, you know, mm-hmm. what's best for me, what's, you know, how do we approach people from an individual perspective. And, you know, I think that all of that, this whole path has sort of led me to this place where I was finally ready to dig deep and examine my own health patterns and my own um you know, what's happening in society with the beliefs around alcohol in particular. And it, it led me to kind of look at this, you know, mommy wine culture in a different way. And right. um, so that was sort of the path that I, I got on, which has ultimately led me to make a lot of new decisions for myself and my, you know, my career and, and whatnot. So. so you've got the you know, you're viewing what's happening in society. You're living through, I should say, what's happening in society, like all we are, like all of us are. And you're learning holistic approaches to um, making ourselves feel the best we can. Mm-hmm. But then also talk a little bit about what. So what was happening with you? Because even though I think those are very important to mm-hmm. to give up, you know, the elixir that mm-hmm. of our society, the the greatest thing ever created. There's got to be some 
bad stuff that we're going through. And for some of us, I think it's, you know, really um, low bottom stuff, really bad. But for others, they just don't feel well. Like for me, Mm -hmm. it was massive bouts of depression that I just couldn't justify anymore. I had to address this. What was what was kind of the impetus on a personal level for you to, to say enough is enough? Yes, that is the question. So I, I'm, I'm 47 years old and I was going through, um, you know, I, some people call it a midlife crisis. I don't like the word crisis. Um, it was definitely a change. It was sort of an unraveling of sorts where my body was feeling bad. Um, I knew my hormones were out of whack. I was helping women try to balance their hormones and in turn trying to balance my own. Uh, my marriage was sort of going through a fatigue process. You know, we've been married for 16 years and um, we kind of were starting to kind of be like, huh, what is this about? You know, um, I was just feeling overall just bad. Um, I, I never really have had anxiety or depression per se, but I was definitely feeling sort of an unraveling. Um, and I wanted to try to come at that in the healthiest way possible. So I think for me, it was just having the space, um, especially of last year being um, overseas and having just more of a slow life and having that gift that we gave to ourselves of space and having time to contemplate and just sort of like take another look at, you know, our lives and this rat race and being parents and, um, you know, just how we're living life. Um, and just take a second look at my marriage and all the things that I was like, what is the thing that I'm ignoring that is probably the one thing I could remove that would change things? Your husband. <laughs> I looked at that and okay. that was not the answer. Oh, well, good. For all husbands out there, I'd like to say I'm glad you found a different, different yes. answer. Uh, so the answer was the elephant in the room and that was the drinking. And, um, and that was the answer for me. And I like to call it, well, I, I did not coin this phrase, but it's called the big domino because it is the thing that if you can remove that, the other little dominoes tend to just fall into place. And yeah, you still have to do the work and you, you know, you can't just remove the drinking and then everything's going to be fixed. But it is one of the biggest deterrents to us really, I I believe, um, being able to be our highest conscious best selves. You know, when we're feeling crappy, we're feeling anxious, we're all in this constant state of anxiety right now. Our nervous systems are revved up in a way that I feel is at an all-time high. Um, And we just don't know, we don't know what to do. We don't have the tools to self-regulate and to calm ourselves down in a way through, you know, we're trying to do it. And a lot of, we have very good intentions. We're reading books. We're trying to eat better. We're working out. We're doing all these things, but our nervous systems are still, you know, totally, they've gone haywire. Speaking of self-regulating before you quit, before Mm -hmm. the middle of December, when you said that's it, a lot of us, um, I, I mean, I, Maybe it's too far to say all of us, but every alcoholic or every person that's had a, a problem with alcohol that I know of, before they quit, they try to put rules around their drinking mm-hmm. and say, I'm only going to drink on the weekends or I'm only going to drink in social settings or I'm going to, my favorite is I'm going to drink a glass of water between each alcoholic oh, yeah. drink, which you still 
get as drunk, but you spend all the all that fun drunk time in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Um, did you ever go through a stage when you were employing rules to try to keep things under control? Was that part of it for you? Oh, the rules were my that those were my mo. I mean, I prided myself on the rules. I thought if I can just have all these rules around it, I'm in control, and this is not controlling me, and. What we don't take into account is the amount of brain space that it takes Mm. to maintain the rules and that we're constantly thinking about, you know, oh, am I following the rules? When do I get my next drink? Oh, I said it could be on Thursday, but then when I have it on Thursday, am I going to have one or two? What am I going to have? Mm -hmm. You know, and so the rules in and of itself are exhausting. And even though I had put into effect rules for probably the past three or four years of my drinking where I wouldn't drink at home anymore unless that, you know, we had people over and, um, you know, I would only have two and, but you know, then we know what happens. You have two, two and then you're bowls. like, Oh yeah. <laughs> so fish bowls of wine. That's right. All. So yes. In answer to your question, the rules were my best friend for about three years. Um, And, you know, I would go through phases where I would be like, oh, I'm not going to drink for like two weeks and feel very proud of myself that I just detoxed, you know, and then only to retox. I call it that detox retox cycle. No kidding. So I was um, always really good at retoxing. Yeah. Yeah. What, Sherry, what was your favorite of my rules? I know the rules are a particularly thorny subject for you. Oh, because, you know. Monday mornings, you would come up with a whole new set of rules if well, you had a bad weekend. So you had a lot of rules. Uh, no particular one stands I, out. You know, you and I have a sort of, not an argument, but there's always this disagreement because you had rules of, I'm only going to drink on the weekends, but you played soccer on Thursday night. Well, the weekend starts on Thursday. So it started on Thursday. And then I worked at the bakery on Fridays and I went in first thing in the morning. So you didn't have to get up as early. Right. Um, so it's not like you would be like, you know, smashing drunk when you come home on Thursday nights. But so you drank on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then on Sundays for a while you wouldn't drink because you had to get up and go to work the next morning. So then what I liked was how then your rules would morph to whatever you were feeling. Yeah. So it was hard to kind of keep up with your rules because your rules would change for whatever you were feeling. Yeah. And then you would say, oh, well, I'm changing the rules now. I can imagine how frustrating it's going to be for a spouse to deal with the rules and the ever-changing rules and the fact that the rules never work. They never, they never quite do work, do they, Christy? Well, it depends on what you think work, you know, what's working. Uh, And I think that's a personal thing. If you really believe your rules are working and you can manage that and it's not consuming your brain space and you feel really good about it, then that's your prerogative. But I think that for the most part, if you're in a position where you have to set up the rules to begin with, then there's probably something, you know, you could examine there um, and it's something that your your inner knowing probably is trying to scream at you like hey let's you know there might be an issue here you know so I think it's worth examining for sure I'm very impressed with that answer I I tend to <laughs> as a writer part of what I have to do is be sometimes a little more controversial mm-hmm. than even I want to be because that gets readers attentions yeah. but you just you just circumvented that. You did. You handled that very well, so as to not turn off anyone who would even be considering 
um, the possibility of not drinking. Are you saying I'm that very impressed. you would say if you have to set up rules, you have a problem? Yep. Where she was just more eloquent and yep. saying it's, <laughs> Mine would have it's been up to you. Three letter you answer. have to be yep. more mindful. Yeah. That's right. No, I'm, I am impressed. I'm legitimately impressed. I'm not just joking yeah. around. Um, okay. So I want to hear. So you quit drinking mid-December while you were in France. Also while you were in France, you did something that's pretty cool because you wrote an article for We Live in Denver and you wrote an article for a local magazine called Urban Life Wash Park here in Denver. And that's a, a, um, a magazine that I write for on a monthly basis. So I'm familiar and a big fan of. And I remember reading your article, but I didn't know you at the time, so I didn't kind of put this all together. Can you talk a little bit about the article you wrote? We will also we'll post a link to it in the um, in this blog post uh, on our website. But tell us a little bit about the article because I think it's really cool. Yeah, so I, I was approached by a mutual friend of ours who runs the magazine, and I was living in France, like you said, and. She had asked me to, because I had had some discussions with her in the past sort of around drinking, you know, around this moderating rules. And I I find now when I look back, I can, I noticed that I started talking about it with friends probably about three years ago, Mm. you know, where I wish, you know, I wish I really wasn't drinking. I know this isn't good for me. I know this is like wreaking havoc on my hormones and I remember we used to have discussions around wine, you know, of how can we really change this? And we used to kind of brainstorm about it. Like, you know, should we take up edibles or, you know, Mm -hmm. marijuana? Because that was, you know, it became legal in Colorado. And we were all sort of exploring that as a way to quit alcohol. But anyway, back to your question, she had approached me and said, you know, would you be interested in writing an article on alcohol? You know, it doesn't have to be from a medical perspective. It can be from personal. It can be from whatever, you know. Do you want to write something? And I immediately was like, oh, that is really scary. Because alcohol, as we know, is such a provocative topic. And it is scary because you're going to ultimately trigger somebody. Sure. You're going to make somebody angry. Mm -hmm. I couldn't think of the approach I wanted to take on it, what tone you want to have. I mean, it's just it's a really difficult topic. So I said, yes, I would do it. And I was in France. and So I'm imagining, so you're hoping to help people to kind of look in the mirror a little bit and think about what's going on in their life. But at the same time, you're trying not to, to I don't know, hold the mirror in front of their face to the point where they're just angry about it and right. uh, think you're being obnoxious and you're a, yeah. kind of up on high looking down exactly you don't want to be on a soapbox yeah you know i was drinking while i was writing the article right right, so i had i kept that in mind for sure but it was more i decided to take the approach of you know let's talk about women let's talk about this epidemic let's talk about this you know mommy wine culture let's let's just lay it out on the table and present the facts and so i just i focused the article on women and I focused it on, you know, I'm just going to try to educate women on this or people in general and say, you know, these are the facts. This, you know, that women's drinking has gone up 85% um, over 10 years for binge drinking. Let's talk about, um, you know, the advertising and how they're targeting us with the rose all day slogans and the, you know, mommy juice and all the things. Let's talk about the boozy play dates. Let's talk about what it does to our hormones because most people don't know that there's a link. Let's talk about the link to breast cancer. Um, So let's just start the conversation is basically 
how I approached the article. And it was very scary. It was very scary to write it. It took me like four months to write it. Because I kept writing it, and then I'm like, no, that sounds too preachy. And then I'd write it again, and I'm like, no, that sounds this way. you know. And I just, I really wanted to try to get it right. So my husband helped me in the editing process, and we finally put it out to print, and it was one of the scariest moments. I was still occasionally drinking at that time, and we put it out, and um, it was super scary. But then this incredible thing happened and that's that I started hearing from women from all over the world about this article and, 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 a, and I can't like I I think it bears repeating that this is a local it's not even yes. a Denver magazine it's a one <laughs> neighborhood, neighborhood in Denver yes. magazine that's and right you're hearing from people in yes Australia yes that that's so that speaks to the power of the internet which I don't think we need to talk about it. everybody knows about that right but that's pretty cool right and you know I I don't like to to say this in a way that I'm patting my own back that it was like this brilliant article that but I think what it speaks to is that this is a conversation that people are waiting to have and women are sitting in shame in this area of drinking where they're having their wine every night and they think they're the only ones and they don't know what to do about it it's being laughed off on a daily basis uh, it's being encouraged by other people, and they feel crappy. They know it's not right. They know they're not being their best selves, and they don't know who to talk to, and there's such a stigma around it that they are waiting to have a conversation. So these women were coming out of the woodwork from, I, like you said, Australia. I heard from a woman in Ireland. I heard from a woman in England, California. I mean, all over, and I'm in France you know, sitting here getting these private messages saying, thank you so much. We need to have this conversation. We, I've been waiting for this. I, you know, I'm one of those drinkers. I don't know where, what to do about it, you know? So I don't, you know, I'm not, I don't need rehab. I don't need AA, but I, I need something, you know, I need community. I need tools. I need, you know, so that was very eye opening for me. Um, and it, it just, it totally changed my trajectory as far as, okay, this is exactly what we thought it was. And now I'm getting to see it and hear about it firsthand. And so what can be done about this? And so that's sort of what set me on this new path. Well, I will say when I read the article, I was really impressed I didn't feel like it was preachy. I felt like it was a conversation starter. And it kind of made me really hope that some of the people that I like in my community, that I know that I have not been a part of maybe the mommy wine clubs or anything like that because I have a husband who um, was battling with alcohol and I just have a really negative connotation towards it in a lot of ways. So I would see that in, you know, in my friends and how every time there was get together and all this wine and I was just really hoping that it would like also kind of transpire and make this change, even though, you know, kind of be like a small movement just so alcohol wasn't always present or it wasn't the only option to have at these gatherings of women in our community and our neighborhood that we are all very familiar with because um, we have a lot of friends in common, I'm sure. So because I was sitting at a different perspective, I was like, oh, why does there always have to be alcohol involved? Why does there, you know... So it was just really nice to have read that article and think, oh, I really hope this is changing some of the mindset of what's going on mm-hmm. and kind of making it a, a movement. And 
I was mentioning earlier that at a party recently there like there was very few bottles of wine open and because um, we were encouraged if you were going to drink to bring you know a bottle of wine or a six pack of beer or cider or whatever and a lot more of the non-alcoholic beverages were gone when we were leaving at about 9 30 it was kind of an early night but it was just really nice to see that the culture of women wasn't just like oh now i have to have a glass of wine in my hand to talk to this friend lots of people had bubbly water coming more acceptable to yeah because i was feeling like i was an outcast in your group because i didn't drink and i was feeling like a total outcast and i was kind of repulsed by the mommy wine culture that i didn't want to make myself a part of this group of these people that Mm -hmm. you know think it's cute and clever and they have a little cup holder for their wine Mm -hmm. you know tumbler that's non-breakable stemless on their um know bicycle and I don't know just kind of was that whole just turn off for me when I see that stuff so so that group the target for your magazine which obviously you hit because um if you're hearing around the world from people um it you know that article took off your target is I think what you would label and I know I know you didn't coin this phrase but you would call that gray area drinkers right people who who wouldn't necessarily label themselves an alcoholic, but know that there's something wrong. Um, one of the things that I like, I really like about your approach when talking about it and dealing with it, I've been really open about calling myself an alcoholic, and I think that owning that label is important for me because it destigmatizes the label. If if I, if you know you want to whisper behind my back that I'm an alcoholic, and then I walk in the room and tell you I'm an alcoholic, it's hard for you to shame me by by calling me that or whispering about that. And also, you know, I, I don't want alcoholic, I don't want that label to be associated only with the bum that's sleeping in the gutter or the the guy in the sweaty V-neck t-shirt that beats his wife every night. Like, I want people to understand that there are alcoholics among all of us, high-functioning alcoholics that, that go through our lives and um, manage to hold it all together. But... But you take kind of a different angle on that and look at the label as um, part of the problem itself. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think, you know, I think if someone chooses to call themselves an alcoholic and that's what truly helps you and gets you through, I, I, am, I would never say do not call yourself an alcoholic. I mean, that's just not, you know, if it's working for you, great. I think the problem with the word is that there's really no definition to it. So in the even in the medical world, it's not really even a word. I mean, we use alcohol use disorder, sure. which is a spectrum. Mm-hmm. And I think in drinking, no two people are truly alike. I right. mean, and I think once you start the labeling, it it helps it allows people who do maybe want some help to further justify their own behavior because they're like, well, I'm not an alcoholic or I'm not that. I'm because not I, that person. Because I'm not living in the gutter. Right. I'm not an alcoholic. Right. So. But there is no line in the sand. No. There's no line in the sand that says this person's an alcoholic and this person isn't. There's no criteria for it. So that's the only problem I have with the word is because it further allows people to keep going with behavior that they know isn't quite right, but they're not in that so-called, you know, alcoholic. And so it's just hard because as a medical professional, 
there's no way I could diagnose someone as an alcoholic. Yeah, it's a self-diagnosis for sure. It's a self-thing. And I also think for some people, not everyone, but I think some people use the term as an excuse to disempower themselves. You Mm. know, they think, well, I'm an alcoholic. It is what it is. And it turns into sort of a fear-based thing for them. And they're like, there's nothing I can do about it. You know, and I, I'm a big believer in that there is so much we can do. Sure. And very few people out there, I think, actually need formal treatment or rehab. You know, and I think the further we, we remove labels from it, then it destigmatizes it. Because then we're just all having a conversation of, yes, I feel like my drinking's a problem, and I'm right here on the spectrum. You feel like your drinking's a problem, and you're over here on the spectrum. But let's all have a conversation about this, rather than say, well, I'm worse off than you, or I, I'm an alcoholic, you're not, so you're not as bad. You know, it's just this, it's, it becomes this us versus them. Which can get dangerous, I one, think. One of the things I like about your approach, Christy, is that you individualize it. You think mm-hmm. each person should, you know, the treatment for the works for one person might not work for others. Not just specifically when it relates to alcohol, but just in life. Like, mm-hmm. there are different different strokes for different folks. I think, I think this fits into that category because I think there are people for whom they don't ever want to drink again and they want... Even though there is no line in the sand for them to cross, they want to draw that line in the sand. It will help them to say, look, this is, this is a disease. I have it. Can't drink anymore. The label helps me. Mm-hmm. But, but then there are those millions of other people. And, and I'm not exaggerating. We're talking about numbers in the millions oh, of yes. people yeah. that are in this gray area. And the label is frightening. I think it's, it's very similar. I just actually wrote an article about... Um, the slogan, the AA slogan, um, one day at a time. And for a lot of people, that's very helpful because the idea of never drinking again, the idea of foreverness is just too daunting a a concept. So if I can just get through today and then tomorrow, I'll just try to get through that day. That's helpful. But then there are, you know, there's so many double edged swords when treating, um, when, when addressing alcohol abuse, because there are other people like myself that was a terrifying concept that you mean every day I got to think about whether or not I want to drink. No, I want this to be a permanent decision that I've made and I want to move on with my life. Mm -hmm. And I hear from people all the time that, that say, yes, I, I can't, I can't deal with the one day at a time thing, but I do. But at the same time, I understand the reason for it. I understand that by, um, by giving people the, the option to look at it as a one day at a time decision, they don't have to look at the foreverness and the and how scary the idea is. So, I think so. So, talk a little bit, if you will, about the approach to um, coming at people on, on a one-on-one basis and trying to understand where they come from and what's right for them needs to be individualized, as opposed mm-hmm. to you know you're going into 30-day inpatient rehab with 10 other people and you're all going to just follow the, exactly what we have to tell you. Does that make sense? Does the question make sense? Totally. Yeah. And I'm a huge advocate of, um, you know, individualized everything. So even in medicine, you know, we're moving toward individualized medicine as far as like looking at everybody's genetics, looking, you know, looking at each person as an individual rather than just a human body that, you know, is like a diabetic, you know? So 
there's just a spectrum in all of it. So every single person is totally different. We have different genetic makeup. We had different environmental factors in our lives. We had different upbringings. Um, we've all, you know, handled our drinking differently. We, all, I mean, there's just so many, it's so multifaceted mm-hmm. that you really need to come in and just meet someone where they are. And so you meet them where they are, wherever that is on the spectrum. And you say, okay, A, what do you, what do you think of your drinking patterns? You know, where, where do you think you are? Um, and my whole goal in all of this is to be a guide, and just to empower them into knowing that you can change patterns, you can change your brain. I mean, if you look at all the new research in neuroscience and neuroplasticity, we know for a fact you can build neuro, new neural pathways. Um, you, we know that you can break old pathways. They can see it on functional MRIs. So there's just all this amazing science that we have now that says every single person has the capacity to do these things. And so you take that into account, plus someone's genetics, plus someone's upbringing, plus, you know, the in, the atmosphere or environment they're currently in, and you really just individualize it based on that. And so there's really, there's no one-size-fits-all in any of it, not in practicing medicine, not in doing this kind of work with, with people um, wanting to change their relationship to alcohol. Um, and... Yes, for some people it is daily. For me, it's daily. I don't want to say I'm never drinking again, even though I know deep down I won't. But for me, I just I prefer to be like it's every single day. It's just a choice today. It's a gift that I'm giving myself. It's not a deprivation. And so it really is reframing those neural pathways to to believe that alcohol is actually a form of punishment for me. Mm-hmm. It's not a punishment that I can't drink. And you really have to flip the story. So I totally agree with you. I think that for some people, they have to draw a line in the sand. and that's. But it's a self-imposed line, and that's fine. I just have a problem with people putting people in nice little boxes. Because yeah. I think our brains want to do that naturally. Our brains are very binary. They want things to be black and white. They want things to be simple, clear cut. You know, that person has a drinking problem. They're an alcoholic. They're over here. This person, you know, is over here. We want things to be nice and tidy. When the fact is, is that nothing, there are very few things in the world that are black and white. Yeah. Everything is on a spectrum. Well, I I think the differing approaches, I mean, I just can't overemphasize how important it is that people know wherever they are on the spectrum that there's help available for them. Yes. Because, um, you know, by the time people come to me, they come to me because they've read my story and they say, your story really resonates. I'm, I'm where you were. Mm-hmm. And, then they, and then when they share their story with me and then they say, you know, but what I'm really looking for is I want to learn how to drink under control. I want to learn how to moderate. And I'm, I'm pretty quick to tell them that's not in the cards for you. That if, if, you, if you resonate with my story, um, you know, that... that the horse is out of the barn or whatever you say you are you are not going to be functionally capable of of being a moderate drinker whereas um you know there are people that need to hear that but then need to to grow to the point where they view alcohol as a poison in their life a toxin in their life and like you just said i think you worded it very well it's more of a punishment to drink than it is not to drink Mm -hmm. um so you know the the one size it fits all i'm I'm not 
an AA basher, and I'm not here to bash to, to talk down about AA, but the idea that you either go to AA or you struggle in silence, those days need to end. And Absolutely. we all need to understand that there are so many people coming from so many different angles. Um, so so specifically, I'm, I want to hear more about the angle you're coming from now. You are in the middle right now of running a sober October um, 30-day uh, what do you thirty day challenge, right? Is that what you call it? It's an experiment or a challenge, yeah. So how, how's that going? Well, like, like, tell me about it. Yeah, so I um, I formerly <coughs> trained uh, this summer under Annie Grace, who wrote a book called This Naked Mind, and her book is you know full of just neuroscience and everything I was just talking about, um, and just sort of learning new tools and and to provide to people to teach them how to sort of reframe their brain and kind of look at this from a different angle. That book is one of the <clears throat> most important pieces of my puzzle for quitting alcohol. So I'm a huge, huge, huge Annie Grace fan. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So go on. So uh, she's doing a lot of great work. Um, and I think, you know, she's trying to get her work studied and, you know, it's her, her success rate so far pretty pretty high mm-hmm. so anyway um i um trained under her like i said and so now i've just started this um <clears throat> this coaching where i'm helping people um change their relationship to alcohol whatever that may be um and as my sort of kickoff i'm running this sober october and what it does is it's an experiment that's what annie calls it the 30-day experiment or a challenge and so um, I think that that, you know, sort of it allows the barrier of entry to be pretty low. It's mm-hmm. like people like a challenge. Sure. You know, they want to look at it like I don't have a problem, but I kind of want to challenge myself. And, and do you this. can do anything for a month, right? Exactly. 30 days, anybody can do it. Well, most people can do it. Some people have a really, really hard time with sure. it. Um, but you can, but before you start, you can wrap your arms around the idea absolutely. of doing it easily. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so, uh, so I've been, I started at October 1st. I have an amazing group and it's just been just phenomenal just to see, you know, people again in my group are all across the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people are purely just, you know, occasional habit, social kind of drinkers. Some people it runs deeper for them. Um, some people are, you know, there are one or two there, you know, are, you know, probably struggling with this every day. So it's just a great time. The 30 day challenge, what it does is every day we talk about a new topic, um, whether it be, you know, it's just one of the tools. Like one day we'll talk about willpower and why that doesn't work. And then another day we'll talk about cravings and another day we'll talk about friendship circles and things like that. And the societal pressures with drinking. Um, and we just sort of explore topics every day. We journal, uh, we, you know, we have this group setting where anybody can talk about, bring up whatever topic and I moderate it. And it's just been so mind blowing just to see it unfold and actually lead my first group and, and watch, you know, people be vulnerable and really just put themselves out there and they're really diving in deep. Um, and really they're ready to do some self exploration. And so it's just, it's been really rewarding and really fun so far. So your journey has been from traditional Western medicine, medical professional. Uh, I want to start looking at nutrition. I want to start looking at holistic approaches. In the meantime, I'm going to quit drinking because it makes me feel better. 
Um, I'm going to go learn with Annie Grace. And I, and now, all the way coming full around to, I'm going to, this is what I'm going to do now. I'm going to yes. work on the mommy wine culture and the gray area drinkers and see what I can do to help them. And so the Sober October was kind of step one in the in the practicing yes. phase, right? Yes. What yes. comes what comes next? And and you don't have to have well defined answers. You can just <laughs> you can just tell us what you're thinking about. Oh, what am I not thinking about? That's oh, the question. I like it. I uh, like it. So I've I've decided to pretty much focus on more of the community. I'm doing a lot of um, I'm meeting up with other medical professionals right now. I think that a big step in this process and in this, you know, uh, taking the stigma off and everything is that medical professionals need to know, they need to have a place they can refer people. So they need to know that there's help out there for people when they come Besides in. AA. Exactly. When they come in and say, yeah, I'm drinking a bottle of wine every night. And you're thinking in your head as a medical professional, we're taught to actually double what people tell us. Sure. So you're like, whoa, they're drinking a lot, but then what? What do we do with them? Mm-hmm. And we're not taught that in school. So to ha- be able to have sort of a resource network, a referral system in place for um, medical providers to say, hey, do you, do you maybe want some help with this? Do you want to talk to somebody about this? Do you want to change your relationship? Do you think this is a problem? Mm-hmm. And then to be able to actually hand them something, some resources, I think that in and of itself could be huge. So I'm really focused on that. Um, I'm meeting with medical professionals all around town and practices and wellness centers um, just to kind of get that discussion going. Um, and I'm, you know, working on sort of building my own coaching practice. So this Sober October was the kickoff. I'll probably run another group uh, just to kind of help people get through the holidays if, you know, they're not drinking, but they need, they feel like they might need a little extra support over the holiday season. And then I'm planning to do a huge dry January, which should be really fun. I may even tie in like a charity or something to that. Um, And uh, other, you know, there's lots of brainstorming going on right now. So. Well, if people want to keep track of what you're doing, Christy, and maybe be in contact or mm-hmm. maybe think about that dry January, because I know literally millions of people think about that dry January when the time comes, um, how how should people follow you? you, I, you the, do you call it, is it your company that you call Dance Yourself Clean, or that's just your tagline? It's a cool name, Dance Yourself Clean. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> is that like I guess a, a social media my, handle? It's my or business. Your business, guess, okay. Yes. Uh, I've never been an entrepreneur, so it's strange for me to say that out loud. But uh, yes. I feel like we just had breaking news right here on the Intoxicated <laughs> Podcast. We are officially moving Christy into entrepreneurship. Yes. It's exciting uh, for me. Uh, you know, you've got to stay outside your comfort zone. That's what they That's say, right. right? That's right. It's the only place you grow. So I'm, I'm full on in that right now. Uh, but... Yes, dance yourself clean. It kind of that terminology kind of goes way back for me. I love dancing. I love live music. Um, I love the song by that name, and I've just always loved it. And so when I was trying to kind of brainstorm what you know, what should I name my new you know company or my business, it was sort of always right in front of me. So it was just so perfect. And when I was telling friends what I was going to name it, they're like, of course, that's what you're naming it. Cause it just, it's exactly me. So yes, it's called dance yourself clean coaching. 
And that's my Instagram handle, it's Facebook, and then my uh, website is danceyourselfcleancoaching.com. That's great. And we'll link to all of that on the Intoxicated Podcast website so people can, can find you that way as well. That's outstanding. Christy, thank you so much for joining us today. We loved having you. Thank you any, so much. Any parting words for our listeners? Are we good? Did we cover everything? Uh, no. Not we need, at all. We need and that's about the point, right? 24 more hours, yeah, minimum, yeah. to get to cover everything. But yes, this was this was great. And I think, you know, I think you and I are exactly aligned in that we both just want this conversation to continue and we want to destigmatize and we want people to feel comfortable and safe in being able to talk about um, their drinking habits and the fact that it just, you know, if it's not working for you, then you should be able to talk about it in a safe space. That's right. Well, I have a feeling we'll be working together more in the future. I'm excited about that. Well, thanks for joining us, Christy. For my wife and podcast partner, Sherry Salis, I'm Matt Salis. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Intoxicated Podcast. Mm -hmm.